Welcome to Theology on the Go, a brief interview podcast from placefortruth.org. Place for Truth is a website of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, which we'd encourage you to visit. After the podcast, listen for details on how you can receive free resources from the Alliance. Our guest today is Minister of Christ Church Derby, which is part of the International Presbyterian Church in the UK. He is also author of a new book entitled Covenants Made Simple, Understanding God's Unfolding Promises to His People, which is published by PNR. So we're delighted to welcome John T. Rhodes to speak with us about covenant theology. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, pleasure to be with you. So I wanted to start off by, uh, by asking why it was that you felt this book was an important one for the context that you're in. Obviously, people have been writing about covenants. Theologians have been talking about covenants and using covenantal language for a long time. But why this now? Can you tell us a little bit about your context? Yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly in the UK, um, talk about covenants, whilst it was rife in the 16th, 17th, uh, 18th centuries, recently in evangelicalism seems to have uh, more or less disappeared. Uh, there are very few Presbyterian churches, uh, in England at least. I should be careful because Scotland's very different. Um, but for the most part, those who would describe themselves as conservative evangelical in England um, just don't think about covenants. They might have a Bible overview themed around kingdom, but, but covenant has, has more or less disappeared. We talk about our relationship with God, but don't understand it's in a covenantal context. So the, the aim of the book was really to try and uh, bring covenant back onto the table, perhaps having um, recovering it from a, from a few centuries past. So why is it important for Christians to study and understand covenants, these ancient Near Eastern treaties that we find in the Bible? I'd say at the heart it's because covenant is the word that God uses to describe his relationship with his people. Uh, so if it's, uh, if it's his term for the relationship, then we need to dig into to what he means by it. Uh, I've got one relationship with my wife, but a very different one with my uh, employees. I've got an unconditional relationship with my daughter, but a, a very different relationship again with uh, the government over me. So what is the nature of that relationship between me and, and my creator? Uh, and really throughout the, the scriptures, from I'd argue from the Garden of Eden onwards, uh, covenant is the, so the defining factor in that relationship. So until we understand that, we're not going to understand, well, to quote uh, J.I. Packer, we're not going to understand either the nature of God or the gospel or even of the scriptures. And he thinks all three need to be viewed in a covenantal frame. So what is a covenant? Well, it's interesting. When you, when you look at the different covenants in the Bible, in one sense, you have to give a very, very broad definition and say something like it, it's simply a relationship. I mean, God talks about having his covenant with the, the sun and the moon, or David and Jonathan have a covenant um, between them. But I think when you're focusing on, on what we tend to talk about in covenant theology, which is the relationship between God and his people, I think a, a covenant is essentially a conditional promise from God. Or if you wanted to flesh that out a little bit, uh, it's a conditional promise where God uh, promises his people blessings if they keep the covenant and threatens curses if they break it. I want to return to this idea of conditionality in a minute, but hmm. can you 
unpack for us what you see as the basic covenants in Scripture. You mentioned God's covenant with the sun and moon, but that's not really what the what the book is about or what covenant theology is generally about. So what are the basic ones that I, I would need to be aware of? Sure. Well, you'd start with uh, what's often known as the covenant of works, uh, sometimes the covenant of nature or the covenant of life. But the covenant of works in the Garden of Eden before the fall uh, between God and Adam with Adam standing not just as a, a private individual, but as the representative, the king uh, of the entire human race. Uh, and there the condition was very much um, strict obedience. You know, he was told to, uh, well, positively, he was told to rule over the earth, um, uh, fill it, subdue it, have dominion, uh, and negatively not to take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at that stage, there's no, there's no mercy, if I could put it that way. It is strict, perfect obedience that's required of Adam. Um, clearly that goes wrong. So that the second overarching covenant of the Bible, um, which is often founded on, on uh, Abraham, uh, the passages Genesis 12, 15, 17, where God comes to Abraham and makes a second covenant, um, usually known as the covenant of grace, where instead of mankind relating to God through their own personal strict obedience, we come through the mediator, come through Christ. So the condition on us now in this relationship is to have faith in God's um, Son and his gospel promises. So that those two covenants, the covenant of works, strict obedience, and the covenant of grace with faith are the two, I'd say, that dominate the, the Bible storyline. And that covenant of grace, you would argue, gets unpacked, maybe that's not the best word, but unpacked uh, further in, 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 in other various covenants that God makes with his people? Yeah, you won't read covenant of grace um, straight off the pages of scripture, so that's just a term that uh, theologians and, uh, and ministers and writers have used down, down the years. Really, as a, a summary of the, the unfolding covenant, I argue actually it starts after the fall with uh, Adam, where um, God clothed Adam and Eve with the skins and um, uh, promises that the serpent crushed to come. But really, the, the, the covenant of grace is, a, uh, I suppose, a, a theological concept. Um, that encompasses the covenants with Abraham uh, and then going on down the generations to, to Moses and the people of um, Israel at Sinai um, as they head into the promised land uh, with David uh, as the kingship is added uh, back into the covenant arrangement and then finally with the church through Christ. You think of the Last Supper where Jesus uh, says, this is my blood of the covenant, uh, the new covenant. Um, so really covenant of grace is a term to cover all those um, three, four, depending quite how you break them up, um, editions, if I could put it like that. Now, could you could you expand a little bit on this idea of the covenant at Sinai being part of this gracious covenant? Because oftentimes the, the covenant with Moses seems to be viewed very negatively in the New Testament. Uh, so, so how does this all fit together? Yeah, well, well this, is, uh, this is certainly a point of, of much debate uh, within the church and within the, what you call the broadly evangelical church, I suppose. Um, I think there have been two dominant views on it, and I'm, I'm aware this is a, a simplification, but um, the two dominant views are either that at Sinai, um, the arrangement with the people of Israel was more or less akin to that with Adam in the garden, that God came to them and said, the, the condition again on you is perfect obedience. Um, and in that way, it's sometimes talked about as a republication of the covenant of works. But for others, I think it's fair to say the majority of Reformed writers, um, and, and this is certainly where I put myself, they'd really see it as a, a peace with Abraham, uh, just as Abraham was told he had to believe, but also to walk before the Lord and be blameless, 
will say to the people of Israel um, who continue to trust uh, the, the great uh, redemption promises of their God, but are also told to respond in obedience. Um, I think it's just the same as, as the New Covenant, frankly, um, in the sense that we, uh, we aren't saved by our works, uh, but those who are born again, those who have faith, will show good works. Um, so the structure of Israel being, uh, the people of Israel being set free from slavery, rescued, and then told how to live in light of their rescue is one I think is a very uh, gospel pattern. So you've talked a couple of times about conditions in the covenant, mm. and and I'm wondering how would you articulate the difference between the fact that there may be conditions in our relationship with God covenantally, but that that's not a kind of works salvation or works righteousness? Absolutely. That, that, this is why we need to be really clear with our, our language. In one sense, of course, um, there are no conditions uh, to our salvation. We contribute nothing. Um, Ephesians 2 tells us that even our faith is a gift of God. Um, having said which, clearly, uh, when, when if you take the, the coming of Christ, when he comes and preaches, he calls us to repent and believe the good news. Um, so without repentance and faith, there, there is no salvation. I think you have to distinguish what you mean by conditions. There are conditions that merit the reward, and there are, in other occasions, there are conditions that um, have to be there but haven't earned reward. So if I could put it like this way, if someone was to give me a ticket to the World Cup final and I was to walk up to the stadium, I would need to show that ticket to get in, but on no account had I earned the ticket. It was a gift. Well, similarly with my, my faith. Uh, yes, I have to have faith in order to be a, a true covenant member, but I haven't earned that faith. It was a gift of God. So in that sense... Uh, if you like the full sense, then of course salvation is entirely unconditional. It's of grace alone. So how does an understanding of the Bible's covenantal structure and of our covenantal relationship with the Lord influence our understanding of the church? Mm. Well, it will slightly depend on uh, just how you understand the nature of the new covenant. There will be some differences between Baptists and Presbyterians and uh, other forms of Peter Baptist. But I would say that, at essence, that the church is a covenant community. Uh, those who enter into the, the, the new covenant uh, are part of the body of Christ. They're the bride of Christ. Um, uh, they are the, the household of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and are therefore given the covenant signs, uh, the, the entry sign of baptism and the continuing sign of uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so the covenant is, is the if you like, the defining factor as to, to who is in and who is outside of uh, the Church of God. Now, uh, last question. I'm wondering if you could expand a little bit on why uh, a co understanding my relationship with God covenantally might influence my understanding of my own spiritual life. You've talked about it in terms of unfolding the Bible and unfolding the Bible's message, but uh, for, for one's own life as a Christian, mm. how does the fact that covenant is the overarching structure uh, affect, affect one's understanding of, of the spiritual life? Well, I think the first thing it does is, is point us back to Christ. Uh, as I read through the scripts, I see um, that in and of myself, I can have no spiritual life, it, um, sort of self-grown as it were, that the only way I can relate to God is through Christ as the one who's kept the law in my place and taken the covenant curses in my place. So any blessing that I want from the Lord is going to come to me in Christ. Uh, Christ is the second Adam. 
uh, and in him every spiritual blessing resides. So rather than coming to uh, a sort of God, an indistinct God, and, and asking for um, sort of blessings, I want the blessing of increased holiness or the blessing of uh, growth in knowledge, I come to him through Christ, aware that I am attached to him as a vine is to the branches. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the things that I've most benefited from in terms of a growing understanding of the covenants. Union with Christ is key, and therefore uh, for every step of the journey I need to go to him. Now there are other things we could talk about, but uh, a Christ-centered faith ultimately is going to be one that is growing uh, and spiritually enriching. Well, thank you very much for your time. John T. Rhodes, again, is the author of Covenants Made Simple, Understanding God's Unfolding Promises to his people. We appreciate it. Thanks. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to Theology on the Go, a podcast of placefortruth.org. Place for Truth wishes to be thoughtful and accessible and is based on the conviction that the gains of the Protestant Reformation retain their potency and ought to be maintained for the health of Christ's church. Theology on the Go is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Our ministries include placefortruth.org, the Bible Study Hour with James Montgomery Boyce, and events such as the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology and various Reformation societies. To learn more about the Alliance, visit alliancenet.org or call 800-488-1888. Just for listening, we'd like to equip you with free resources. Visit placefortruth.org to find a link to those resources. And listen next time to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.